0: Good morning. It's Wednesday, January the 31st, 2024. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI TV. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit those horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Canada continues to grapple with environmental issues, including. Snowpack, flooding, and wildfires. Dr. Annabella Bonada from the Intact Center explores the need for improved preventative measures. Easter Seals has kicked off their 11th annual Disability Film Challenge. Actor Nick Novicki tells you all about it. And you know that taking care of your health is important. You also know that it can get complicated. So how can you go about managing your personal health care in an effective way? Wellness advocate Shane Baker will offer some guidance. But the show begins with the top story of the day. And it is a disability-related story. Air Canada is introducing a policy for travellers with non-visible disabilities. Michelle Zarekian has the story.
1: Dubbed the Hidden Disability Sunflower Program, the effort allows customers to wear a sunflower lanyard that indicates to staff they may need extra assistance or have specific needs. The move falls under Air Canada's three-year accessibility plan and comes after numerous reports of passenger mistreatment last year that prompted the airline to apologize and promise to do better. The sunflower lanyard will be available at check-in counters at multiple airports across Canada. Zedekian, again the Canadian Press.
0: Now, with Dave Brown occupies a unique space in the Canadian broadcast industry because this is a show that platforms people with disabilities. So, when there's a news story like this that relates so closely to disability, we have the opportunity to react to it authentically in real time. Let's bring in Alex Smythe and John Lepke to talk about this story. Alex, I understand what's at the core of the policy here, but it does make me a little bit uncomfortable because think about the experience of people with visible disabilities in Canada who use uh, this particular airline. If you use a mobility device, you still get
2: treated like garbage. So what does it matter if you wear a pin? Well and it again it goes into the argument of do you need to uh self identify especially if you have an invisible disability just to receive preferential treatment you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to wear a bright uh distinguishable lanyard so other people know to offer you assistance if you require it like you should just be able to go and ask and be like hey can i get Get assistance on boarding or or exiting the plane. Can I just get a bit of extra time? Going I come. Uh, can I be one of the first on? Just because I need that extra time and in space and maneuverability around me. You shouldn't require a lanyard to to do this. And as you said, Dave, like the the track record of treating people with disabilities isn't great. Let alone the track record of just offering good service to folks <laughs> overall is yeah. questionable. So this is. Like, if you just improve the overall uh, passenger experience, you wouldn't even require this, I, I think. would It's kind of that funny thing, right? Well, we want to put a focus on making sure people with disabilities are, are, are well taken care of. It's like, just make sure people overall are well taken care of, and the problem should sort itself out. Yeah, this is gonna sound very Dickensian, but show me,
0: don't tell me. Show me you're doing it. Don't tell me you're doing it. John Lepke, you're stepping in for Laura Bain today. Thank you for that. What's your reaction to the story?
3: Yeah, I, I think that it, you're both are bang on. I, I think it's, it's it feels like a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion effort where somebody looked at something on social media, and, and we see this sometimes around Halloween, around specialized buckets, and, like, there are versions of this, right? Um, the one place if I was to look at maybe it being a positive, often the sunflower lanyard is deployed, and it was deployed in, in some supermarkets in Britain, is for... Um, uh, neurodivergent folks most commonly like autistic kids and so I could see a version of this where maybe a family that's early on in understanding that disability journey with their kid wants to identify for people in the airport that you know their kid is having a meltdown like they're mm. not mm. just trying to be a pain um, and you know there there's a reason that you know because we have all kinds of perceptions in airports um, but overall I mean we had our chief accessibility officer get their wheelchair lost on the way to meetings about accessibility. Um it it you can you can paint whatever billboard you want and give out whatever lanyards you want but it's not going to change the baseline knowledge of your staff and the the lack of equity that we often see in airports and and knowing people who work in the airline industry I really do believe it it, it begins with the training and and the implementation, and mm. that's where the root of the issue is.
0: Yeah, at its at its core, that's the root of the issue. Gentlemen, thank you both for this. Don't go too far because I'm bringing you back for the daily poll in just a minute, but a little more news to share here. Some economic data just came out this morning. Stats Canada just dropped their gross domestic product numbers. The Canadian economy grew at 0.2% in November, and a preliminary estimate suggests the economy expanded in the fourth quarter by 0.3%. Let's get to a story about cyber security. Canada's Foreign Service is investigating a cyber attack that forced it to suspend network access for some employees. Dylan Robertson has the story.
2: Global Affairs Canada says it's looking into what it calls malicious cyber activity and early results from that probe found someone had access personal information, including from staff. The data breach caused the department to shut down remote access to its national networks nearly a week ago, though staff inside headquarters and those working at embassies abroad aren't affected. Shared Services Canada and the Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity are involved in the investigation. Dylan Robertson, The Canadian Press, Ottawa. Okay, I've given
0: you a lot of vegetables here in the first six and a half minutes of the show. Let's have a little bit of fun, because there's going to be some serious talk here in the first hour as well. And you know I love stories like this. Minnesota residents are having some fun naming snowplows. Norman Hall scrapes out this report.
4: Northern Minnesota held a contest to name their local snowplows. The top vote-getter was Taylor Drift. Second place plow will now be known as Clark W. Blizwald. Other plow-winning names, Dolly Plowton, Beyond Slay, and Fast and Flurious. Got a better name? You can submit next year. Minnesota has 800 mostly nameless snowplows. plows. Andy Field, ABC News. Ah,
0: scrape it off. Scrape it off. Uh, Parker, you're there in the audio control room. Hit me with that one again. That's too much fun.
4: Northern Minnesota held a contest to name their local snow plows. The top vote-getter was Taylor Drift. Second-place plow will now be known as Clark W. Blizwald. Other plow-winning names, Dolly Plowton, Beyond Slay, and Fast and Flurious. Got a better name? You can submit next year. Minnesota has 800 mostly nameless snow plows. Andy Field, ABC News.
0: Standing ovation for Norman Hall. Well done on that report, and well done to the residents of Minnesota. Let's get to the daily polls. At Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. On Tuesday, you were asked about the B.C. government and their implementation of the Intimate Images Protection Act. It gives people recourse if their images are posted online without consent. How do you try to protect your data online? 18% of you said anonymous browsing. 38% of you said anti Antivirus software and 44% of you said limit personal posts. Jaden and Karen vote for all three. Pearly Pigtails writes in I make myself sound really old and I limit my personal posts. Philippe comments in I'm trying the best I can to protect all my data, whether it's with antivirus software and also with NordVPN. I should have thought about putting that in the options. Well done by Philip. in order to do all of my things online because I do find these things very important. Today's daily poll coming from my own meandering personal experience on disposable income. I've got a friend in from out of town who's staying with me for a couple of nights and he showed up real late from a trade show last night. And if I'd been a really courteous, caring friend, I would have made him dinner But instead, I just ended up ordering some pizza, even though I've tried to make an effort to order less food in that way, less delivery food, in order to protect my disposable income. And it got me thinking this morning, what is something that most gobbles away at your disposable income? Food delivery services, streaming services, technology, hobbies, at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook. John Lepke, what gobbles away at your disposable
3: income? I'm right there with you with food delivery. And, and it's mostly because at this time of year, we've had an unseasonably warm winter here in the prairies, but traditionally for me, uh, making food in the winter uh, as an ambulatory wheelchair user has been a slow going process. Um, I would say that the saddest button in all of technology is the, the place where you can see how much you have spent on skip the dishes oh, in your oh, uh, lifetime. Oh, uh, Yeah. Don't, don't click that button to go through your orders. Just, just, do it from memory. You won't have to think about it. Um, <laughs> the outlier being a few years ago when I was very, very um, – I was off on a medical leave from a previous gig and things. I spent $2,200 on Skip the Dishes in one month. Um, so if you hear that sound, that's the sound of my financial advisor cringing. Okay. Um, <laughs> So I'm I'm there on on the food delivery apps. For sure. Alex, I'm right there with John.
0: Uh, maybe not twenty two hundred dollars in a month, but I <laughs> but I uh, I have a magnetic pull out of my wallet, and I and I've clicked that number on Uber Eats a couple times with our colleague Daniel Penamondo and we were both kind of horrified.
2: Yeah, so uh, back when I was living in Edmonton, there was certainly times where the food delivery apps were making more of an appearance, especially when it was like, you know, minus 30 out in the wintertime. I do not want to go outside. Let someone bring food to me. Uh, so that that was definitely much more the case. less so since I've been back in Ontario. I try to make more of an effort to, to get out and cook for myself. That said, I, I still engage from time to time. I engage in all these from time to time. Oh, yeah. I think I I think for me the biggest uh kind of um uh, cash flow uh, uh, kind of a vacuum for me would have to be the hobby <laughs> side of it because in my mind I include things like you know doing all my gaming which yep, you know you yep. have your online subscription plus you have to pay for the new game plus you got to get all the, the attachments things like that like that is a big uh, a big time uh, spender in in, in my uh, kind of uh, a credit card uh, uh, kind of statements uh. and then on, on top of that you get all the other things you want to do the extra credit? I so want to go see a movie in theaters. Like I oh, put that yeah. all under the hobby. So hobbies for me is really the the big time uh, kind of spender in, in my. Uh... In my daily um, credit card books. Yeah, there are probably some golfers who uh, might be watching this morning
0: who are saying, yep, golf is an expensive hobby in the thousands and thousands of dollars a year. And in most parts of Canada, you can only play for a couple of months. The poll is available at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, at Accessible Media on Amazon. Don't forget, you can also chime in via email like a few of you did earlier in the week. Feedback at AMI.ca, feedback at AMI.ca, or pick up the phone and give the show a call. 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, Canada has been grappling with a wide variety of environmental issues, including snowpack, flooding, and wildfires. Dr. Annabella Bonata from the Intact Center explores the need for improved preventative measures. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in audio at amiplus.ca. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Canada continues to grapple with the aftermath of last year's wildfire season, and 2024 presents new challenges. Elevated winter temperatures are creating a notable reduction in snowpack. Snowpack is the accumulation of snow layers that typically form during colder months and serve as a critical natural reservoir. And the impact of warm weather can cause a variety of environmental issues, including floods. Experts are sounding the alarm for improved preventative measures. Dr. Annabella Bonata has more on this. Dr. Bonata is the Director of Climate Adaptation Science at the Intact Centre. Dr. Bonata, thank you so much for making time to join me this morning. I'm really grateful for this conversation.
5: Hi, Dave. Thank you for having me.
0: Let's start with the snowpack. How has the warm weather in December in Ontario impacted the snowpack?
5: So you've probably, if you're especially in southern Ontario and you look out your window, you're not going to see any snow at all at this point. And for this time of the season, we would have seen quite a bit of snow. Um, we had warmer than normal temperatures in December, and I'm going to predict that by the end of January, so today, we might see that same kind of number come out, uh, warmer than normal January, and much less precipitation uh, as snow. So we've seen more rain actually occur. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, we just don't have that snow that we usually have at this time of the year.
0: What's the possible correlation between that lack of precipitation, that lack of snowpack and flooding?
5: Yeah. So there's, it, it's, it's, a interesting correlation, um, because the snowpack usually, um, Works to hold the water, so then it'll replenish our our lakes and our wetlands. Once it starts to slowly melt, uh, when it rapidly melts, it it leads to flooding. Um, but now that we don't have a snowpack, um, what it's actually doing is not so much that the snowpack is leading to more flooding, but the type of precipitation that we're getting in Ontario. Um, so just last week we had a lot of rain; it was almost like an extreme rain event. That would have usually been a snowstorm that would have accumulated snow, um, but instead we actually saw some flooded areas such as uh, some of our expressways were flooded some roads were flooded so we're seeing flooding in the winter in a way that we wouldn't have in other years necessarily which is due to a lot of rain instead of snow
0: If, if you take a step back and look at the season that canada had last year in terms of wildfire what are the bigger implications of the warm and dry weather that led into last summer
5: so that was such a big issue last summer that i'm i'm worried for this summer as well so just um to talk about last summer the previous winter had already been quite warm and dry across Canada, so not just in Ontario. Um, and so that meant less snow as well, um, drier vegetation, more fuel on the ground for wildfire. And then we had an early spring, if if you remember, for 2023, and it was a, a warmer a warmer spring. Um, and especially in places such as Alberta, where the, where the wildfires really took off, mm. um, those warmer temperatures ignited... Um, Sorry, so you know, a wildfire would have been ignited for by lightning, let's say, or some sort of way, and then because of the warm temperatures, um, it quickly spreads. So you have hot, dry weather, hot, dry uh, wind that will really spread uh, the flames um, from vegetation to vegetation. And because the winter had been so dry um, and warmer than normal, we had much more dry vegetation on the ground uh, for those wildfires to burn through.
0: And what about looking ahead to this year? There's also the El Nino weather system that has been hanging around throughout the winter heading into the spring. What's the possible impact of continued warm, dry weather in conjunction with that El Nino system?
5: It can be uh, pretty bad for us here in Canada. So we've already heard quite a bit of drought is going on. And this had already been occurring in Canada since last year. But El Nino is augmenting those conditions, especially, again, out in Alberta, in some parts of BC, um, in Ontario. Because, again, we have a reduced snowpack, we'll likely see uh, lower river levels, lower lake levels than what we're used to. All of this is starting to set the stage for what could be another uh, interesting wildfire season to to not have another name for it. My hopes, of course, are that we better manage the wildfire season um, ahead of time. Uh, but the likelihood that it, it will be similar to the last one, or at least quite intense, it, it, it's very high. Just because El Nino means warmer than normal temperatures for much of Canada. Um, So we're, yeah, we're staring down at the same, at a similar kind of season from what we saw last year.
0: Advocates have been talking about preventative measures and mitigation for a while. It felt like it really came into public discourse significantly last summer with the flooding and fires. Why is the traditional approach on prevention and mitigation? Why has it been ineffective, and why—and what problems does it pose moving forward?
5: So I think what's really been ineffective is that we've been more of a reactive society. So we we react to these major events. So after your home has flooded, after the roads have flooded, we go out and do things to uh, help the community, help those people. And similarly with wildfire, um, that's costing Canada, Canadians. So it's not just the government that's paying it off. It's residents that are paying off the cost of flooding and wildfire. It's it's quite a lot. Um, So if we start to shift the focus to preventing and preparing ahead of time uh, that we can help lower those costs and protect our homes, protect our belongings, protect our neighbors, our lives, our, our livelihood. And what that looks like is some of the work that we do at the InTech Center on Climate Adaptation. And it's just easy measures that you can implement around your own home, for example. Um, so if you're in a in an area that can flood, which is mostly anywhere in Canada because of extreme rain events, um, think about if you have a basement, do you have a sump pump? Um, do you have have a backup battery for your sump pump and this can really help uh, when a flooding event might occur in your area um, and that's just one measure there are many things that you can do and some of them are low cost or no cost such as just maintaining your home um, so make sure to remove leaves from your eavesdrops and from any drainage areas and that will already help quite a bit. Um, And with wildfires, it's very similar. There's so much that residents can do to prepare their homes. And a lot of it has to do with removing vegetation that's very close to your home. So you don't really want any flammable material up to 1.5 meters away from your home, like the like vegetation wise. um, But really, you want anything that's very flammable 10 meters away. So if you have a barbecue tank, um, or any like large trees, they should be trimmed back as much as possible, and not have branches hanging over your home. Um, And so these are just some of the many measures that there are, but they're small, and you can start to implement them ahead of the next season, uh, and really protect your home.
0: Dr. Bonata, you know what the problem is? People are going to be playing this clip for their partners on the weekend and say, hey, you see the honeydew list? You got to get the honeydew list done or else
5: yeah i encourage people to take the weekend to do something like that um i know it sounds boring but you won't want to do it when your house is flooding or when your house is close to a fire so do it now that winter's kind of boring and the days are dreary and you don't really want to be out there um do some maintenance around the home this is the opportunity
0: okay i accept your position that's fine by me (laughs) dr bonata thank you for this insight this morning thank you for the work that you're doing have a lovely day let's catch up again down the road
5: Thank you, Dave. Sounds
0: great. That's Dr. Annabella Bonada, the Director of Climate Adaptation Science at the Intact Centre. Coming up next, you know that taking care of your personal health can be a complicated process. So what can you do to manage your health care appointments and treatments in an effective way? Wellness advocate Shane Baker will offer some guidance. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Taking care of your health can be complicated. 14% of Canadians do not have access to a family physician, according to Stats Canada. That number is 25% in places like PEI. I'm one of those people. I have not had a family doctor my entire adult life, I'm trying to rectify that going into this year. Maybe Shane Baker can offer me some guidance. Shane is a health and wellness advocate. Hey, good morning, Shane. Thank you for making the time this morning. Morning, Dave, great to be here. Shane, I've got to get on this. Physicals, blood tests, eye exams, all that jazz. What's your advice on where to get started?
6: Well, it's a it's a great place to start, even just having these these types of discussions, right? And with the new year upon us, you know, we're still we're still pretty new into two thousand twenty four. I think just making that shift and kind of going from one of a little bit of complacency sometimes with our medical stuff and moving more towards something where um, acknowledging that your health is a priority and 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 without our health, you know, a lot of things can really untangle and complications can arise and 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 so i think really just prioritizing our health early in the year and and being um being honest with ourselves too and 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 if we have been having some issues whether related to our our physical or mental health um just being honest with ourselves and saying you know this is actually a real issue and uh, it may give us the incentive to
0: to move forward and and try to begin to address some of these things Shane, I've got a personal question for you, and you're allowed to tell me to uh, move on if you like, but what's your access to services like on Vancouver Island? In Toronto, there are plenty of services available, but the city is so sprawling and the population is so big that I'm even having trouble getting my foot in the door.
6: Yeah, and and it, this is a real issue across Canada, and, and British Columbia and Vancouver Island is no different. Um, I've been really lucky for, for most of my my life to have uh, two family physicians, but I've recently gotten notice that my family doctor will be retiring. and, And this is something we see across the news here in British Columbia. Many, many people are without family physicians the The clinics that are available are very difficult to get into. Um, you know the the primary care centers that the government has just started here in bc are are still having issues with staffing. and so you know it's there, there's not an easy answer, but i i you know I, I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful that our our different levels of government will We'll we'll continue working and plugging away that issue and 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 really prioritizing our access to things like family doctors and and primary care.
0: Shane, you mentioned that you've had a little bit of good fortune in regard to a good connection point to the medical system. What's your strategy for actually staying on top of appointments, tests, obligations, et cetera?
6: yeah I'm no different than anybody else. and even even really recently, I, there was there was something that I've been meaning to take care of and and I just kept letting the days slip by, the weeks slip by, the months slip by and 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 so I think really one of the things that really helped me, is, is talking with people about things. And we don't need to get into the specifics of our specific health issue, but even just saying to our friends or family, look, there's, 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 there's been this thing that I've been meaning to take care of. You know, it's, it's starting to impact me. Um, you know, could we sit down and have a conversation about this? And, and, and through that, we could gain the support and, uh, that we need to, to get and, and address those appointments and, and begin addressing whatever health issue we've been facing.
0: Yeah, you have to identify that there's an issue before you can go about addressing an issue. Otherwise, you're just running around in circles. Uh, Shane, one of the neat things to have come out in the last four or five years is the expansion of telehealth and e-health appointments. I know my parents have been utilizing them to, like, mixed-ish results. Like, they're, they're old school, they're baby boomers. Like, they don't love it, but they also acknowledge <laughs> that, uh, that, like, it can be a little more convenient. What's your experience been like with e-health and telehealth?
6: Yeah, I think since the pandemic started, a lot of things shifted, and and one of those things, like you said, has been the shift to telehealth. and And my family, my current family physician, has actually um, shifted to um, you can either get an appointment in the office or you can actually get one over the telephone. Uh, and 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 for some people, that's really a great option. And for me, it's been a um, you know a really positive experience. Um, and so I would definitely say that there's been this move to, to telehealth. Even my previous employer had, um, you know, agreement with uh, certain telehealth providers. And I think it's a real good option. I think any, any more services that we can access are going to be a, a better situation for us. And, and even when we're looking at mental health, um, you know, I, I've been really lucky enough to see a regular counselor for the last few years. And we do all of our appointments online, uh, you know, through telehealth. And I, I really, it was a little bit of a, dip, um, you know, different experience in the beginning. But once I got um, settled into it and really kind of to enjoy it, I could, you know, I could be doing a counseling session right from the comfort of my own home. Um, you know, it was a
0: really, lo- a really positive experience for, my, for me on that, for sure. Yeah, I think about that a lot, too, again, as someone with a disability who cannot drive. If, if there's stuff that I can do that I'm comfortable doing from the comfort of home, that actually takes a huge slice of the anxiety out of the experience, the running around, maybe having to go out of pocket for Ubers to get to odd places and odd locations. I, I'm not, like, all the way 100% sold, but I do see the merit in certain cases.
6: Definitely. And I think there's a blend. I think there's a time when you need to go into that office and see somebody in person. But I think there's also some some opportunities where we can we can explore different options like telehealth. Even here in, in British Columbia, some of the pharmacists are now doing certain types of prescriptions mm-hmm. to try to ease that burden on, on on some of our physicians. So I think any of those options that may work for you, I would definitely
0: urge uh, people to get out there and, and give it a chance and see what you think. Yeah, BC, Ontario, Alberta, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. There's a bunch of provinces that have started shifting towards uh, pharmacy clinics, which again, In the aggregate, it's a positive. There are obviously specific nuances to quibble with here and there, but definitely some encouragement. Hey, Shane, I know you all have had a lot of rain out there on uh, Vancouver Island uh, of late, but you're always a ray of sunshine on this show. Thank you for this. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. (laughs) That's Shane Baker, a health and wellness advocate based on Vancouver Island. Coming up in 60 seconds, Alex Smythe has the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business minutes.
7: Canada's main stock index saw just a modest gain in trading yesterday thanks in part to a rise in energy stocks. Toronto's TSX index rose 27 points to close at 21,227. New York's Dow Jones average gained 133 points and the Nasdaq lost 118. In Tokyo this morning the Nikkei index gained 220 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.53 cents U.S. Asian stocks were mixed today as markets worldwide worldwide await a decision on interest rates by the U.S. Federal Reserve. That decision coming today, investors hoping the Fed will hint at a rate cut in March. Last week, the Bank of Canada maintained its key interest rate at 5%, but said discussions are shifting to how long that rate will stay there. StatsCan will release its November report on gross domestic product this morning. RBCs expecting the data will show the economy grew 0.1% in November. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo.
0: Thank you very much, Karen. Just a reminder, Karen put that out a couple of hours ago. There's an update on the GDP numbers: 0.2% growth in the month of November with a projected 0.3% growth in the fourth quarter. See the beauty of live TV. I can give you the information you need in real time. Let's bring in Alex Smythe for the weather reports. Alex, you've got a follow-up on the West Coast in the mountains north of Vancouver.
2: Uh, Yeah, Dave, because uh, following up on on kind of all the rain and the torrential downpours that B.C. has been experiencing, the village of uh, Pemberton, B.C., has declared a state of emergency due to flooding. So this is part of the ongoing rain from that Pineapple Express weather system that has been just bringing downpours in the province. And so the state of uh, emergency declaration has an evacuation order that has been issued for six properties out near the airport in the area. And so also evacuation alerts have been put in place for other 20 other properties as well. So evacuation orders and alerts issued in the village. So the uh, basically where the alerts have been placed are locations and properties along the rivers, along the lakes, areas where the flooding is going to be at its worst. And so experts say that the Lillooet River in uh, Pemberton is at such a high level that it has only been seen once every five to 10 years. So that just gives you a bit of a sense of how high the water levels are based on the amount of rain that has been coming in the area. And and they've told folks that if you are being ordered to evacuate to make your way to the Sea to Sky Highway, uh, flood warnings have also been issued in uh, in along the Squamish River as well, because they too are experiencing dangerously high water levels along that river. And for folks who don't know, Pemberton is about thirty kilometers north of Whistler and about one hundred and fifty kilometers away from Vancouver. And uh, they believe that the the flooding risks in the area will linger at least until Thursday as that rain moves on into uh, the eastern parts of the country but anyone who is uh, affected by the evacuation order and you need help with assistance transportation things like that you're urged to call their emergency number it is 604-894-6135 i'll give that one more time for folks 604-894-6135 dave
0: Alex, that's the uh, precipitation side going on in the uh, Vancouver area, the Sunshine Coast, Vancouver Island, north of Vancouver. Don't know if you saw this story going further north into Alaska. Anchorage, Alaska, you know, the biggest city in Alaska, Mm -hmm. over 100 inches of snow has fallen in the last couple of days. 100 inches of snow. That is,
2: like three feet taller than me. That is a staggering amount of snow. Uh, Yeah, it's, you know, this is uh, uh, kind of the, the shocking thing that it... It's not that, okay, the, the amount of snow overall is such a, a shocking amount. It's just, it's coming in such a quick succession. It's just such a, a condensed time frame that you, how can you, you manage that? You, you can't even with all the mitigation uh, in place and all the kind of preparation, you, you just can't handle that amount of moisture coming so quickly, so rapidly to any, yeah. any location. Yeah, no doubt about it. Alex, thank you for this. That's
0: Alex Smythe at the Weather Desk. He'll be back in the second hour of the show for a little bit more fun, playing a game of sip or skip with a couple of uh, odd coffees that have made their way into the Canadian market. And odd coffee is definitely a way where your disposable income might be magnetically pulled from your pocket if you like some of them fancy brews. So the Daily Poll today, all about disposable income. What is something that absolutely gobbles up your disposable income. It's at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. couple options here, including hobbies, food delivery services, technology, streaming services. There was uh, quite a bit of unanimity around uh, food delivery services uh, in the first segment of the show. But a few folks have chimed in on the streaming services front there. There are some folks who have like 14, 15 different streaming services. They subscribe. which strikes me as a whole lot. Anyway, you can vote at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You can also chime in via email feedback at ami.ca feedback at ami.ca or pick up the phone and give the show a call, 1-866-509 4545 1-866-509 4545 Coming up next, Easter Seals has kicked off their 11th annual Disability Film Challenge. Nick Novicki tells you all about it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in beautiful streaming audio at AMIplus.ca. Easter Seals has launched their 2024 Disability Film Challenge. Over the past 11 years, the annual competition has given a platform for filmmakers with disabilities to spotlight their original work. Registration for this year's competition is open. Nick Novicki has details for you. He's the founder and director of the Disability Film Challenge. He's also an actor based in Hollywood, California. Hey Nick, great to chat with you again. You and I connected a couple years ago. Really, congratulations on the ongoing success of the festival.
8: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, it's amazing to be back on. And congrats to you on hey. another show. And, you know, <laughs> you're such a rock star.
0: Success and mutual admiration all the way around. Hey, Nick, let, let's talk about the challenge itself and some of the context. What's at its core? What's the core idea behind the challenge?
8: Sure. So for those of you that can't see me, first of all, I'm Nick Novicki. I'm a little person. Um, I'm wearing a a checkered green shirt. I got a little bit of a beard on my face and I'm a comedian, actor, writer, and producer. And as a little person, I've been very lucky in my career. I've been in over 40 TV shows and movies, worked with Martin Scorsese, the Farley brothers. I'm in the new Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse movie. But the majority of my work has been self-driven with me writing and producing and creating my own content. So 11 years ago, I looked around. I was like, why aren't more people with disabilities creating their content? So I launched the Disability Film Challenge to help other people with disabilities take their career in their own hands. So at the core, this is a competition where you can make films, and it's about including people with disabilities authentically, and about people with disabilities telling their story and ultimately being discovered and having that be a tool that could be showcased Through the industry but also the disability community a couple weeks ago there
0: was a daily poll on the show because disability representation is something that we talk about pretty much every single day often implicitly and frequently explicitly and the question was posed do you feel that disability representation in media has gotten better in the past couple of years and in aggregate the general agreement was Yes, it's come away, there's still some ways to go, but there has been progress. How do you think this film challenge has been part of that progress?
8: Well, you know, I can't take all the credit. Uh, I gotta say there's so many pioneers in the disability inclusion movement, people that have been working for years and years. Um, So I feel very honored to be among a group of people that are doing so much great work. But specifically with the film challenge, I do feel very proud. Uh, We have directly led to countless jobs for people with disabilities in front of and behind the camera. So the unique thing about the Easter Sales Disability Film Challenge is you can't just talk about, I want to be an actor, I want to be a writer, I want to be a director, I want to be a producer. You have to actually make a film. You have to get involved. You have to act. You have to direct. You have to write. You have to edit and you have to complete a film. This year, the challenge is April 2nd to April 7th. And at the end of April 7th, no matter what, you're going to have a completed film. And that film's going to go on our YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook page. So no matter what, the world is going to see your content. And we've had people that weren't named as finalists or winners, and they ended up in two year contracts, actually working in Canada, believe it or not, <laughs> on a, a show called Louder Milk. Um, you know, and all these other opportunities come, but ultimately that comes from people taking their career in their own hands. So I feel so proud of all the successes we've had, but also just so honored to be a part of such a talented community of disabled artists. The film challenge makes sure
0: to offer up themes. You give people a lot of freedom, but you want to put them at least in a little bit of a box here. How are you approaching that this year? What are the themes that you want filmmakers to explore?
8: So, we actually announced the full assignment at the start of the challenge. So, the reason why we wait to hold off on the theme, um, props, and locations that have to be incorporated in the film is so that we know that these films were done over the course of five days because we have films being created from around the world in Europe. We've had films in India, in Africa, uh, in South America, beyond, you know, obviously North America. So the fact that we allow certain aspects of the theme, the props and locations to not come until the end, uh, that helps us make sure that these are new original films so that it becomes uh, equitable to everybody because some people have, you know, Oscar winners that could be part of their team and fancy equipment, and some people are doing it on a cell phone. And that's okay. And we've had finalists in both categories. But we did announce that this year, the genre is buddy comedy. So that is going to be the genre for this year. Um, and the reason why we came up with that genre is... This is the 11th anniversary, and we decided to do a survey to all participants of the last 10 years to ask them what workshops they'd be most excited about, uh, of which you could sign up and live stream if you go to disabilityfilmchallenge.com. And we also asked what genres people would be most excited about, and Buddy Comedy won.
0: I uh, think there's probably going to be some pretty fun stuff that comes out of that theme, no doubt about it. What do those five days look like while the challenge is ongoing? Like you said, you're only going to tip so many of the cards here, but what do those five days end up looking like for the people who enter the challenge?
8: Sure. So step one is between now and April 1st, you need to register. So you'll you'll register. Our website walks you through how you sign up, uh, disabilityfilmchallenge.com. And then everybody that's registered will receive an email on Tuesday, uh, April 2nd. And that email, uh, which is going to go to everybody uh, around the world at the exact same time, will have that full assignment, which is the themes, the props, the locations to choose from. And now you have five days to write, produce, edit and submit your films. And then eventually, over the next week, we put them on our social media pages and we have what we call the awareness campaign, where everybody's trying to get likes, views and shares for their films. But if you break down what happens during those five days, you know, I think everybody has their own little recipe of how they, uh, you know, work out their schedule. But I always say you should really look at it the first day you want to be writing But, you know, you have pre-production going even before of your cast or crew, people that you want to write to, uh, locations that you may be able to incorporate. uh, And then, of course, you may have to find a new location as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then you shoot either the following day or the day after, and then it's editing. So, you know, it's really I I always encourage people not to shoot more than one day because you don't want too much footage because you have to edit it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is where storyboarding really comes in handy you got to do a little bit of pre-production and prep plan on that first day how does the work end up getting evaluated what's that process like
8: sure so we have 20 judges uh with and without disabilities some of the the biggest names you know oscar winner uh or nominee jim jim Lebrec, uh who directed crip camp uh, studio executives casting directors writers actors producers Uh, people that work in the media. Um, And so they all watch these films. And, uh, you know, some of this is evaluated on how much of the assignment uh, was executed, uh, the production quality. So we have a metric, which is on our website. um, And the judges really, you know, uh, dive into individual performances uh, for the actor And so, you know, we really we throw everybody's results into a spreadsheet. So I wish there was a (laughs) more exciting uh, way, but we make it as equitable as we can. And we have a wide variety of people that really watch and spend time, you know, going through each selection.
0: How hard is that for the judges? Because because certainly art is subjective and everyone has their own tastes. How hard is it for the judges to end up coming up with uh, the winners?
8: You know it's hard, and I, I gotta say I'm not a judge. So if you're listening right now and you're upset that you didn't win in the past, uh, don't come after me. I'm not a judge. Uh, <laughs> I believe you're talented. No, it's so hard. I, I I I couldn't be a judge even if I was like able to, and it, you know I obviously can't be a judge because I know so many of the contestants. So I removed myself from the judging process. But it's really hard. And you know what? We've had so many people that. I honestly was like, oh, this is going to be the winner. And they didn't get nominated. Wow. Um, so, you know, I, and and that's something else that's very important. With the challenge, whether you are a winner, whether you are a finalist, it is insane how many opportunities end up coming to people that were not named as finalists or winners. The Casting Society of America, which is a worldwide network of casting directors, share all the films. So literally, you know, thousands of casting directors around the world and, you know, in Europe and the Middle East, they're watching these films. And so they're looking for specific talent and also discovering new talent. So whether you're named as a finalist or a winner, you get opportunities. And the coolest thing is everybody owns their own film. So you could submit your film to all these other film festivals. We've had films that weren't finalists. And they screamed at countless film festivals around the world. Some have screened at 100, 200 festivals and they weren't named as a finalist or a winner. Wow. So again, it's all about making your own film and taking your career in your own hands.
0: Ownership. I love it. Disabilityfilmchallenge.com. Disabilityfilmchallenge.com. Nick, again, congratulations on the ongoing success. Would love to check in with you again down the road uh, as the competition uh, wraps itself up and maybe even talk to a few of the filmmakers. Thank you again. All the best to you and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me on. That's Nick Novicki, the founder and director of the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. As mentioned, disabilityfilmchallenge.com, disabilityfilmchallenge.com to learn more, or hey, send an email, info at disabilityfilmchallenge.com, info at disabilityfilmchallenge.com. In 60 seconds, the entertainment conversation continues with John Lepke. But first, cars are getting more AI features. Mike Debuski explains in Tech Trends
9: from abc news tech trends artificial intelligence is already showing up in laptops phones and now cars volkswagen has announced that ChatGPT is coming to some of its cars and suvs mark vaughn is the west coast editor of auto week he says it's designed to make vw's virtual assistant ida more helpful
3: they're just kind of aimed at oh well now we know that you like taco bell so rather than say
10: uh, here are 42 restaurants around you. They say, oh, the ne- nearest Taco Bell is this way.
3: Though he
9: says it could be used for more mundane purposes.
10: If you're just sitting in your car for a long time and nobody else wants to talk to you for whatever reason, now you have ChatGPT. But
9: AI chatbots like ChatGPT have been known to hallucinate or get things wrong. Still, Volkswagen says European versions of the Passat, Tiguan and Golf will get the integration starting in the second quarter of this year. With that I'm Mike Debusky ABC News
0: thank you very much Mike turning to the world of entertainment Celine Dion is coming out with a new documentary and John Lepke has the story hey John what's cracking out there
3: absolutely uh what's cracking is Saskatchewan's still cold but on the <laughs> entertainment <laughs> front, as you, as you mentioned. Um, so news came out that Celine Dion has a new uh, film that, release date yet to be uh, determined. Uh, it was acquired by Amazon MGM Studios. It's called I Am Celine Dion. And it's a documentary um, uh, seemingly much in the same style as we've seen in the last couple of years with artists really delving into not just what it looks like on stage and off stage, but really getting into their home life. And, and from a disability perspective, this is going to involve Celine talking about having stiff person syndrome which is something she came forward with in the last uh year and a half or so and how it's affected her life it, it's led to a cancellation of a tour and and lots of comments from family around how uh this has been difficult for her
0: john how fal- how valuable do you think these disclosures can be in docu series and documentaries like this
3: uh, I think it depends um because I think it has the capacity to be really well, and I honor the fact that people should be allowed, particularly when they have a um a platform like that, to talk about these things. Where I have concern is when like is much more on an audience perspective mm. um so I have concern when a, a disability gets painted a certain way or, when um like i think uh not speaking for you dave but i think we've probably all met disabled people who weren't quite ready to be public about their disability and i think the pressure that we've put on celebrities to feel public about that um these documentaries have more and more talked about disability i'm thinking about the recent ones from uh lewis capaldi and billy eilish where they were both talking about tourette's um and and so it has the capacity to do wonderful work but at the root of it I I do feel concerned for for the celebrities feeling as if they have to disclose, like that, it has to be the narrative that they have to be super public. Yeah, that, um, that this that
0: this becomes the core purpose of making the docu series. Yeah, John, it's 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 complex because there's no such thing as a singularity inside disability and inside people with disabilities. We're all on our own individual journeys. There there are certain collective rights that perhaps we're trying to fight for, but we're all coming to terms with it in our own. Way and we're all going through our own self realizations. You know, for example, I, I you know, I, I've, I was born with a disability. I knew I had a disability. I, I experienced it growing up, but it wasn't really until I was in my twenties that I started thinking about it in more abstract ways and thinking mm-hmm. about myself as part of something bigger. So, if at five or six years old you'd asked me to do a documentary or docu series about my disability, even at eighteen or nineteen. I don't think I could have given you the same articulate representation that I'm able to offer today. And that's not to diminish people who have recently acquired a disability or have recently come to terms with their own disability, but there does pose that risk that all of a sudden there might be some director or some producer that says, we've got to hit this story before that person has even necessarily come to terms with their own reality.
3: Mm -hmm. And the pressure we put on celebrities to talk about it and and the pressure we put on ourselves, like you said, Dave, often when when we're not, uh, you know, I wouldn't label you or I celebrities, you know, I have I have cerebral palsy. I have a brain injury related disability um, from birth, you know, uh, that is viewable on a brain scan. And yet I didn't see myself or understand myself as neurodivergent until two years ago, like. Duh! I have a brain injury. Like that probably should have clicked in my brain that perhaps I might be neurodivergent, but it 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 took a while. And and so from an audience perspective, I'm hopeful that this documentary one is um you know it is willing to to honor celine's experience rather than being sort of the gawking tragedy yeah, yeah. narrative that often comes out of these entertainment things um but i'm also hopeful like, like i know when people see the louis capaldi and, and billy eilish documentaries that that you know there's there's audience feedback that yeah there's there's some oh how sad for them but there's also like a oh i haven't seen, seen somebody be this vulnerable and there that's is right value in that vulnerability. Oh, yeah i think we just want to make sure that it is safe not only for the performer but but also for for the audience because with with um uh with folks like Sia, we've certainly seen disability representation uh, go awry.
0: Mm-hmm. Platforming that's done well is an amazing learning opportunity. And I think that's where we find ourselves in agreement this morning, which is quality really matters here. So if, if you're going to dip your toe in that water, then you should make sure to do it well. Hey, John, thank you for a pinch hitting for Laura Bain this morning. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Uh, talk to you soon.
3: You're welcome. I love the sports metaphor.
0: Uh, well, you know, we do it. we can. That's John <laughs> Lepke at the Entertainment Desk coming up after the break. Manitoba is talking about some changes to how they generate hydroelectricity and power. I'll have that story in the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. welcome back it's now with dave brown coming to you on ami tv and in streaming audio at amiplus.ca i'm dave brown it's wednesday january the 31st 2024 i no longer have paper scripts in my studio but i should have stolen one from the printer tray to crumple it up and throw at the camera and tell you another month has dissipated into thin air, and my existential crisis continues. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Vancouver area residents are still reacting to a 48-hour transit strike. Last week, Elizabeth Moeller and Marco Pasqua reflect on how the situation impacts customers and commuters with disabilities. And uh, here's the thing. Journalism in the media industry, not an awesome place right now. Sports Illustrated and the LA Times have announced massive layoffs. Kevin Shaw considers how those layoffs impact the greater media landscape. Love doing a little media criticism. Looking forward to that conversation with Kevin. they just threw it up on screen there with the uh, with the b roll of course we picked the sports illustrated swimsuit edition issue as the uh, as the cover to throw on screen there well done well done uh, okay let's begin the hour with the regional news update <laughs> sports illustrated i guess that is their most famous issue every year uh starting in the prairies manitoba hydro is looking at independent producers to build more generating capacity chief executive jay graywell says all forms of power are under consideration
7: wind right now it is coming out as number one based on where cost curves are today um, all of those things. There are other, you know, nascent emerging technologies like small modular reactors, you know, the role of hydrogen,
0: Graywall says they will continue to be among the lowest hydro prices in the country, but increases may have to rise faster than the recent 1% rate hikes by regulators. Over to Ontario, an update on some of these child care and $10 a day child care programs. Ontario has ordered municipalities that directly operate child care centres to do a value for money audit of their programs. As spokesperson for Education Minister Stephen Lecce says the audits will drive greater transparency on taxpayer dollars. Alana Powell is the executive director for Ontario's Association of Early Childhood Educators. She says quality of service cannot be measured in dollars.
9: So it's
11: because these programs sort of have these best practices that they cost more, not because they're being inefficient with their funding. I think it comes down to how, how do you describe the
4: value of early learning in childcare.
0: That's your look at the regional news. Here comes Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Whoa it's still about three weeks before baseball's spring training begins in Arizona and Florida, but the Toronto Blue Jays are making some moves. They've added veteran designated hitter Justin Turner on a one-year deal. Turner hit over 20 home runs and had nearly 100 runs batted in for the Boston Red Sox last year. And Turner won the world series with the Dodgers in 2020. Brock, your reaction to the Blue Jays bringing a little bit of pop for the DH spots.
12: I don't mind it. It seems that they're leaning towards uh, him him being on the DH side of things. He can also play third base, so I understand, because a lot of the reports um, led to what do you do with Matt Chapman. If we're committing Dave to running this back and we're saying we're going to do this and we're going to add a few pieces like Turner, like Isaiah kind of Falefa, and we're going to do this— I would be one to say, put more put money into Matt Chapman. I like what he did. I like what he's doing with this ad of Turner. I like it as well. I just I look at this team and I go, yeah, you're just not adding that piece that I go, now you're you're a championship team. We've seen the Bobachettes, we've seen the Vladimir Goro Juniors, and we've heard it all the time. Oh they're gonna improve, they're gonna improve. It's funny how everyone's always in the best shape of their life, beginning spring training and then we get the realness when we get into the season so for me i like this trade i like the dh in the middle i I like this idea but i just don't see them as of right now putting together this championship team that we all hope to have i just see it being another one of those mediocre teams that makes the playoffs and doesn't go very far That's called the Toronto Special.
0: Uh, Another Jay's note to pass along here. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will be video game famous this year. He's going to grace the cover of MLB The Show 2024. Brock, I broke that news to you this morning. What's your reaction to Vladdy Jr. being video
12: game famous? You did, and I uh, like this as well. I think this is very cool to have somebody that, you know, is your supported team, at least from my perspective, on the cover. It is also my favorite video game. So Len's the reason why when it comes out, I'll be like, I think I'll grab this because I like the video game, and I also like the cover. So it's pretty pretty cool to say, hey, there's a Toronto Blue Jay on the cover. And I don't recall, maybe I should look this up just for fun, how many Toronto Blue Jays have been on the cover in, uh, in ooh, the past, I don't uh, know that it's been that many. I could only
0: name you the last two cover athletes. Uh, Jazz Chisholm of the Florida, the Miami Marlins graced the cover last year and proceeded to have an awful year for the Marlins that was injury-plagued. And the year before that was Fernando Tatis Jr., who I still love, but he got popped for a bunch of steroid violations. So I don't know, Brock. Uh, it might not be boding super well for Vladdy Jr. <laughs> based on recent history.
12: No, no, but we won't go down that road yet. But we can always point to that if he has a down year, it's because he's on the cover of the yeah. MLB, and that's just what Toronto media would do. But,
0: yeah. Although maybe that circles back to the theory of uh, breaking some of these Toronto curses. You can break the pl- the video game cover curse and playoff
12: curses. It's going to be a big year for Toronto on that front, maybe. And I'm well, going to leave
0: it right I, I there. Mean, I'm some- going to leave it right
12: there. I mean, somebody's got to break the curse, right? You can't always have a down year or, or- What have you? I don't know. I, 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 I don't mind. I don't mind. Not a Toronto sports fan
0: over here. Brock, have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. You as well. That's Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Coming up next, Sports Illustrated and the LA Times announced massive layoffs in the last few weeks. Kevin Shaw will consider... How that could impact the greater media landscape. And I've got some thoughts too. I do enjoy me some media criticism. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Two major media publications in the United States have announced massive layoffs. Sports Illustrated and the LA Times are laying off huge swaths of their employees. Kevin Shaw has been following the story closely, and so have I, quite frankly. Kevin is the host of Mind Your Own Business on AMI TV. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Morning, Dave. Kevin, you know, there's actually quite a bit to get to in terms of some backstory, but Sports Illustrated seems like the place to begin because forever, that was considered the bastion of sports journalism, and it really felt in the last four or five years with a bunch of ownership changes and uh, dwindling quality of the product, this kind of felt inevitable.
13: And don't forget the scandals. And the scandals, that's right. Yeah, it's really the end of an institution, I, I think. Um, you know, Sports Illustrated has been around for, I mean, decades um, and, and is really one of those uh, uh, sort of a, American as apple pie kind of publications. Um, you know, it's certainly a part, it's become part of the culture, and uh, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what, where, where this goes next.
0: When you refer to the scandals, that's uh, moving towards artificial intelligence-created articles. There's also been a lot of issues at the ownership front here in the last couple of years. It was bought by a hedge fund for a little bit and then was sold to a brand management company. They're opening Sports Illustrated resorts in Mexico. But at some point, (laughs) they just kind of stopped doing the great journalism. And that's with all due respect to great writers like Pat Forty, who's one of the best football writers. We're breathing oxygen on the planet.
13: Sure, sure, sure. And and I mean, you know, what a what a what a niche it's created for itself as the sports magazine. Um, you know, if you're you're not if you're not in sports illustrated, you're you're basically nobody. And the types of stories that that SI has run over the decades have, have really just shaped journalism, sports journalism particularly.
0: Kevin, let's put Sports Illustrated to the side just for a second, because I think we could do a little bit of synthesis here once you bring in the LA Times side of the story. The yeah. largest set of layoffs in the paper's 142-year history. What do you believe led to that set of layoffs?
9: Well, the
13: the landscape of the industry is, is really shifted. I mean... A lot of people will say, well, it's the internet and it's blogs and it's, uh, you know, X or Twitter and, and TikTok and so forth and citizen journalism and so forth. But I, you know, with newspapers, I think they just got away from, from just telling the truth and, and listening to their audience and giving the audience a product that they wanted. Um, you know, I hate to be the one to say it, but I, I think that's what's happened over at the at the LA Times, and and I think a lot of other newspapers too. And I know the Washington Post has been going through some challenges as well. Uh, you know, along with with other sort of major market newspapers, and they really can't compete when you've got journalists who are putting out product on Substack that is blowing them away in terms of editorial, in terms of um of of actual journalistic coverage, doing investigative stories um, and I, I think that this is a, a a shift that we're seeing in the industry where we're we're actually going to see more of this, I believe, rather than less of it. Uh, and I, I don't think the LA Times is is the first. I don't think a lot of other papers are immune to this mm. um, and you know the way to get out of this is to just tell the truth and write good stories and and, you know, politics be damned.
0: It really speaks to the reality that at this point there's one profitable national newspaper in the United States, and I mean like a journalism newspaper, and that's the New York Times. It's the only one that has a subscriber base and a profitability model that's working for them right now. For now. For, for now, for now. But I, I think they've at least carved themselves a niche. But Kevin, once, once a company like that sort of sucks up the oxygen. It's really hard, and it just turns into a battle for all these other legacy brands. If they're not bringing the same quality, they're always gonna be running into this wall. And then the reality is, if you're gonna lay off 10% of your workforce, or in the case of Sports Illustrated, nearly all their workforce, the, 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 the fact is, if you diminish your quality, you're not going to be able to beat the monolith. So,
13: I took a history of news course in grad school, and one of the themes in that course was aggregation and disaggregation, and we talk about um, uh, all of these players coming in, you know, the, these big monoliths, uh, you know, the Sports Illustrated, the the New York Times, and so forth, that have really gone out and and sucked up all of the all of the local news feeds and sort of put them into one place, and now we're at disaggregation where all of that is basically being broken apart. And what is going to happen, I think, is that uh, the, the the good things are going to rise to the top before they're all aggregated again into yeah. some type of yeah. publication. I, I think we're going to see Sports Illustrated either reborn under under a new name, or we're going to see um, you know a whole bunch of sports writers come together and say, you know what, why can't we just do what Sports Illustrated did? And make their own thing. And that's going to yeah, that uh, was... rise up from the grassroots. <laughs> that, that was The Athletic. And then it got bought by The New York Times. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, and, Kevin, I, I think that's the push and pull here right now when I think about the media landscape, that for a mm-hmm. long time, if you wanted to go off and do your own thing, you needed at least a medium-sized to big-sized platform to get you started, right? That was the launching pad that then allowed you to go do your own thing. And with some of those big platforms diminishing, it makes me wonder how easy it is for someone to make a big jump. But the positive side of it is there's going to be a lot of great independent writing, independent podcasting, independent filmmaking. And it's never been easier to put that stuff out there. But I still just wonder about getting the eyes and ears on this stuff because it is a crowded crowded marketplace with some quality and a lot of quantity
13: yeah (laughs) uh i agree and and you know i think what is what is going to rise to the top is real journalism where they tell the truth and give the audience a perspective that that they can't get anywhere else um you know, it, it it reminds me of uh, sort of the the early days of um, of radio or television, where there was a lot of experimentation happening, and a lot of people had to figure out what didn't work before they realized what did work. And I think in in the world that we live in now, where we've got I mean, a mini computer in our pockets that that's basically a multimedia you know television, radio station, newspaper all rolled into one we're going to find people who know how to use that technology and innovate with that technology to the point where we're, we're going to have uh you know i think a few really really strong players and uh a bunch of kind of middle of the road players and, and a whole bunch of mediocre players yeah. <laughs> um, not, not every podcast is going to make it to the top um you know just at the same time that that not every youtube video is going to go out there and get a million views mm-hmm. but the people who've been able to do that have, have produced really, really great product and, and you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what emerges after uh, Sports Illustrated sort of goes the way of the Dodo. Yeah,
0: I, I do think about specificity versus broad based uh, content as yeah. well. Right? I, like I think about if somebody wants to listen to a fantasy football podcast, they just want their fantasy football. They don't want seven minutes of fantasy football with 42 minutes of other stuff. And it, it's actually a real challenge for someone like myself who sits in a broadcasting chair, right? How sure. do you make a general interest show, but still make sure that you're pitting these interests in a, in a meaningful way. Uh, th- there's a great pot, a sports podcast network uh, based out of Toronto called the Steve Dangle Podcast Network that is this mm-hmm. wonderful independent darling that rose out of a couple of... And they had a couple of great hockey podcasts and they had a basketball yep. podcast. They had to cut the basketball podcast because it didn't fit into the core identity of their business, and it's terrible, and it's really too bad. But the reality is, their customer base wants hockey, not basketball. The future is narrowcasting.
13: Totally, and and you know the, the 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 great saying of the ancient Greeks was "Know thyself," and I think <laughs> that holds true in. Uh, you know, in in the modern media landscape that we're in, we're we're 24 years into the into the new millennium, and uh, I think a lot of the business models and the legacy business models that that were there pre 2000, pre 1999, were are are models that that are not just dying, but I I think dead. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's only taking us just this long to realize that. Uh, you know, to complete drawing the chalk outline around uh, around the industry. Mm. Kevin, it's kind of a downer,
0: but I also find it very interesting. That's kind of the story of my life. Have yourself a great day. Thanks for your perspective. You too, Dave.
13: Thanks for having me. Ah.
0: That's Kevin Shaw. He is the host of Mind Your Own Business on AMI-TV. Coming up next, Vancouver area residents are still reacting to a 48-hour transit strike that took place last week. Elizabeth Moeller and Marco Pasqua reflect on how a situation like that impacts commuters with disabilities. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Welcome back it's now with dave brown on ami tv vancouver area residents are still reacting to a 48 hour transit strike that impacted quite a few buses and c buses last week there's some big disability implications when it comes to a transit shutdown let's get some perspective from elizabeth moeller and marco pasqua elizabeth is the founder of em disability consulting and marco is the co-founder of meaningful access consulting hello elizabeth Hello, Dave. And hello, Marco. Hello, hello. Marco, you live in the Vancouver area. What's your big takeaway on how transit shutdowns impact the disability experience?
10: Well, first and foremost, Dave, today's segment I think is more the overarching theme is quality of life and uh, when you think about quality of life you think about being able to access your essential services now transit is not deemed an essential service by our provincial government and i really think that it should be because Uh, There's so many people with disabilities who rely on transit on a daily basis and can't use things like handy dart or paratransport from a reliability standpoint. And so that reliability factor is normally there with bus services and SkyTrain, especially in the uh, greater Vancouver area. And when that is all of a sudden just cut off and all you get from TransLink is you may want to find alternative uh, solutions to your transportation needs, Well, that kind of a statement doesn't really, uh, you know, fly when you have medical appointments to get to and things like this. So it completely cut people off at the knees. And thankfully, I didn't have to go anywhere by transit while the strike was actively happening. Um, But I know that I would have been impacted, um, you know, should I not have alternative um, solutions for myself. So it's a big deal, Dave.
0: Local context matters here, especially for folks who are in North Vancouver, where if the C bus isn't going and the bus isn't going, it's not. <laughs> Not like you can just walk across the bridge or wheel across the bridge to get into the downtown core. It is a stranding, stranding scenario that leaves people completely vulnerable. Elizabeth, this is a BC story but you, even as a Toronto resident, got to live it firsthand last week because you were in British Columbia. How would the shutdown impact your Vancouver experience?
11: Yeah, it was, um I would say affordability was a huge piece. So Unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, we ended up having to take my colleague and I a lot of Ubers, and I, that's a new thing for Vancouver. The last time I was out there, I I didn't see Uber, so I'm I'm you know excited to see that come. But the surge pricing was real. Um, oh, so we oh. were going from Robson, which is downtown, over to Hastings, not too too far, mm-hmm. maybe a ten minute ride, and our Ubers were. Three times the price. The other issue, yeah, it was it was it was an ouch. The other issue was the waiting, right? So, we you know we we were waiting anywhere from like twenty to thirty five minutes because it just wasn't enough Ubers, and I think perhaps because it's still new-ish out there. There maybe aren't as many on the road and then you get a transit strike. But also, you know, on top of that, the other issue, of course, is accessibility. So if you needed an accessible mm-hmm. Uber um, because you were used to taking a bus or a SkyTrain that was accessible, that wasn't always a possibility. So yeah, it really, it did impact me mostly from a pocketbook perspective, but also a time perspective, like things that should have taken 10 minutes, we had to bank like 30, 45 minutes.
0: Yeah, but you know, Marco, pocket and time, like like that, that's a big deal.
13: yeah.
10: Oh, it's a it's a huge deal, and actually, to your earlier point, Dave, also people um, who are on Vancouver Island, you know, things like accessing groceries on the regular mm-hmm. basis. Maybe you you come over into town to do that, and now you're basically cut off at the knees. I saw some memes online that were utilizing, uh, you know, clips from movies where people were uh, using rafts to get over, and they were making fun <laughs> of the fact that oh now people are going to have to use rafts to get over from North Vancouver just to get access to the, those things. But uh, it's real, Elizabeth and you know with regards to the um accessible uh, ubers we don't even have uh wheelchair access vehicle ubers available or even um uh the oh i have to use comfort when i when i go and do it they don't have uber assist here as well yeah we, so we that noticed extra, that that extra care yeah that extra care yeah, is just yeah. not there
11: and the cabs the accessible cabs were so hard to find.
10: Oh,
0: yeah, that's that's that that's a whole that's a whole different uh, kettle of worms. For the sake of pace, let's switch gears here. The sure. province of Alberta is expanding pharmacy clinics for primary care. Over 100 will be in operation by the end of the year. Several provinces have similar policies on the book, and this was actually the topic of the Daily Poll last Friday, but I think bringing in both of you for your perspective on this is useful. Elizabeth, how do you feel about pharmacies being a more primary point of care?
11: I think it's a really positive step forward. I mean, we're already seeing such a shortage, and if it's something simple like you need a flu shot or you need um, a simple prescription for you know a cold, I think it's a really good stopgap. You'd never want that to replace or give people the um, you know impression that it replaces their primary care physician. But even for myself, both my COVID shot and my flu shot, I went to my local pharmacy for because the wait at my doctor's office was four to six weeks, and I got into my pharmacy within. Two days. Mm. So I think there's a real, like, bur- taking a burden off the system. But I think it's just gonna be really important to delineate those clear lines of here's when you actually should go to your doctor or your nurse practitioner. And that will, I think, also be really important for pharmacy professionals to communicate as to when this is sort of an issue that maybe needs more attention.
0: Marco, I do look at a policy like this somewhat optimistically. I just think any time you can increase points of contact with the health system, Mm -hmm. that's a good thing. And especially if they're familiar points of contact that fit into the day-to-day lives of people. I, of course, have my concerns as well, because we actually need more family doctors uh, in this country. But (laughs) I, I overall look at this optimistically.
10: Yeah, I agree with you, Dave. I, I can't believe the people who are slamming the Alberta government, at least they're doing something about it. I'll tell you both right now, I don't have a GP anymore. Mine retired. Neither do I. And guess, and guess I. where my files went? They're up and they're in a dusty closet somewhere, right? So um, at least there's an opportunity for you to access healthcare somewhere. Yes, it's a Band-Aid solution, so to speak. And yes, we do need more doctors and more GPs to be accepting people and actually just have more doctors. Doctors in general but at least the alberta government is actively doing something about it i can't say the same um, here in british columbia at least from my perspective did, did we just have unanimity
0: across all three of us not having a family doctor or a gp elizabeth
11: mine retired at christmas that's so I, and i realized i was maybe confusing because i said early a few minutes ago that i you know i was trying to get in for a flu shot yeah i had a great doctor and and they retired at christmas time or holiday time wow so
3: Yeah,
0: Millennial bingo. All three of us not having a GP. (laughs) we'll We'll put that one out there. All right, guys, a couple more stories here. For the sake of pace, let's keep on moving. Last, on technology, accessible technology made a splash at CES again this year. The gyro glove is designed to counteract hand tremors. It weighs about a pound, is battery powered, and covers the hand and forearm. Elizabeth, this one jumped out to you. How optimistic are you about technology? Bridging accessibility barriers.
11: I'm optimistic in terms of the potential. This glove looks like it's it's really going to help people to be able to, to eat and perhaps even use their hands to write more independently. I think where I'm cautious in my optimism is cost because mm-hmm. a lot of the technology that we know um, costs a lot of money. And I'm also a little bit um, cautiously optimistic around look. So I did actually kind of think about, okay, what are some of the technologies that I use? And now they're a lot sleeker. But I find when technology is really new, the look and feel kind of makes you stand out quite a bit. And I think as somebody that already has a a difference, perhaps that's something that people are maybe going to feel a little bit uh, concerned about. But I think in terms of what it can do for people and the dignity it can provide, I'm really excited to see where it goes.
0: Yeah, Marco, I'm going to use the word optimism again, because I do believe in technology. You and I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago about uh, some technology competitions and accessibility and where they intersect. How optimistic are you about technology being a key to bridging accessibility barriers? Well,
10: Dave, you know I'm an optimistic guy. That's basically my whole <laughs> mantra, right? So, uh, you know, yeah. No, definitely I'm, I'm optimistic. But I agree with Elizabeth. Um, that device is amazing, but it looks a little bit clunky. That being said, if they could shrink the gyroscope to be a little bit smaller and still uh, address the same issue, it would be fantastic. However, I watched the video before the segment about the gyro glove, and um, the impact and, as I said earlier, the quality of life that it's creating for those mm-hmm. who are wearing it is immeasurable right i mean i'm looking at people who are showing themselves trying to pour a cup of tea beforehand and then they put the gyroscope on turn it on and now they're able to pour without spilling hot water everywhere or have the dignity of being able to crochet if that's something that you want to do or play jenga that one of the people were playing jenga successfully <laughs> oh my gosh and that is that is awesome like like that is that is bridging the gap and bringing families together for something that is so Um, People could just throw that away who have their regular function. But all of a sudden, if that's removed from you and you're shaking every day, you're going to notice those things. So every small detail matters. And so I'm all for this type of technology coming into our ecosystem. Absolutely. I,
0: I like that. The little details, the little details, the little things, the spice of life. Okay, one more story to get a reaction from you two on. This was the top story of the day on the show, but it's been about 90 minutes since I played the audio. So may as well reset this one. Air Canada is introducing a policy that intends to serve people with invisible disabilities. Here's Michelle Zadikian.
1: Dubbed the Hidden Disability Sunflower Program, the effort allows customers to wear a sunflower lanyard that indicates to staff they may need extra assistance or have specific needs. The move falls under Air Canada's three-year accessibility plan and comes after numerous reports of passenger mistreatment last year that prompted the airline to apologize and promise to do better. The sunflower lanyard will be available at check-in counters at multiple airports across Canada and on board Air Canada flights. Michelle Zedekian, the Canadian Press.
0: Marco, I get the point, but I don't think Air Canada gets the point. It does not matter if people with disabilities identify themselves. The service in aggregate has been awful. So I don't see how making people with disabilities wear lanyards is going to improve anything, unless there's a culture shift in the company.
10: Uh, Dave, my reaction immediately was, congratulations, but what have you done for me lately? You know, that apology from Air Canada was about people who were being mistreated, mostly with mobility devices and mobility challenges, um, who, uh, you know, during transfers into their seats were being injured or being uh, forced to drag themselves off of planes because they weren't getting assistance. This wasn't about non-visible disabilities. And listen, to my friends with non-visible disabilities, I think it is a positive step for and that I congratulate you in that regard but that's not the bigger issue here you know the bigger issue here is overall what are they going to do to improve services for persons with disabilities period the identification piece is a piece but it's not the whole picture and
0: Elizabeth this is where Marco and I clear out and give you some space it's almost like your entire trip last week is fodder for this segment so react to the story <laughs> but you also have some autobiographical experience to share
11: Yeah, I think, like Marco said, the lanyard's a great first step. I do wonder, though, about, you know, rolling out awareness. Like if I walked up to a checkout counter and asked for one, are people going to know what they are and how to use them? Yeah, I I think for me, when I think about airlines, it's consistency that's missing across airports and from gate to security to to airplane to deplane on the other side. And I wish there was a way, and I recognize that this is – brought with probably all kinds of complications, that you could actually bring someone with you through security. They would get cleared like you and that person could assist you to your gate and then leave. Um, Not everybody would have a support person that could do that, but it would would sure make it easier for those of us who maybe have someone already driving us to the airport to have that person come through with us and make sure we're settled. I was actually taken to the wrong gate. I had a transfer in Calgary last week coming home um, and I looked up my gate and i was fairly certain that i was right i looked at the app and the person said nope uh you're going to x gate um so not only was i taken to the wrong gate i asked on the way to stop to use the ladies room and to get a coffee i was told no they didn't have time um and additionally i was yeah it was actually really really quite bad and then when i when i left the aircraft um i expressed again to the the flight attendant that i only had an hour so i needed to get um assistance as soon as possible and i was left waiting for almost 25 minutes so i almost missed my connection so, all that to say, um, I think that there's real inconsistency from place to place to place.
0: Yeah, show me you can do your service, and then you can have all the lanyards you want. Like, show me you can do something with your disabilities, disability disability policies that are already on the books now, and then I'll then I'll give you all the flowers you want for your flower lanyard. Ooh, I landed the plane pretty good right there. Hey, Marco, thank you for this. Thanks so much, Dave. I mean, I landed the plane kind of okay. I stumbled over my own words. Professional (laughs) broadcaster that I am. Elizabeth, thank you as well.
11: You're welcome. I am home safe and sound.
0: Then that's what we like to hear. Marco Pasqua is the co-founder of Meaningful Access Consulting. Elizabeth Moeller is the founder of EM Disability Consulting. Coming up after the break, there's some uh, fun coffees that are popping up on the market. So Alex Smythe will play a game of sip or skip. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Remember, there's always a lot of ways that you... Welcome back, it's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. One of the great delights in my life is when I get to hang out with Ramya Amuthan. Uh, Sometimes we're ships in the night. I get in early and her show happens in the afternoon. But every now and then, there's a magical sweet spot when Ramya is in bright and early in the morning, and I demand yeah. that she hangs out with me in Studio 7. So, Ramya, I'm within the coast. Now, co-host of Kelly and Ramya is right next to me. Good morning, Ramya.
14: morning, Dave. This is the sweet spot, is it? This is the sweet <laughs> having spot. Having to get up at 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, Yeah. how are you doing with the 7.30 wake-up
14: you know call? You it's huh? all right. I snooze till 8. I'm fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a victim of the snooze alarm. Yeah. There might have been four or five this morning Trust. on my way, on my way, on my way way getting up. Hey, Ramya, 2 p.m. Eastern time. What's coming up on the show today?
14: Yeah, okay, so we're talking to Corinne Van Dusen because it's our uh, bi-weekly entertainment chat time, and she's going to tell us about the uh, upcoming Taylor Swift performance. She's got four days in Japan. There's a Mm. whole bunch of other stuff going on Mm. around that. Mm -hmm. I have not been keeping up, so anyways, you sound like you know, but she'll keep us
0: posted. I'm a Swifty, Ramya. I'm I'm on top of these things.
14: I'm not going to lie, though. I've been listening to a lot more Taylor Swift lately. She's good. Anyways...
0: um... (laughs) Stunning, stunning hot Take this morning. <laughs> Taylor Swift,
14: good. Yeah, she's trivia, Um And then... <laughs>
0: oh, and and you're flashing then, your Duolingo lessons, too.
14: Time. And then uh, so many side tangents. And then we're <laughs> also talking... Um, we're we're going to have a conversation uh, around business with our friends from Robert Half Canada. Uh, by the way, Grant Hardy and I are hosting the show today, uh, and we have headlines with him and all these other things as well.
0: Right on. Sounds Thanks. like a fun show. Okay, speaking of fun, Ramya... Alex Smyth has been searching the interwebs and has come up with a fun game here for you, myself and Nazreen abdel Alex Smyth, I hand things over to you.
2: Yeah, Dave, we're gonna be playing a fun game called Sip or Skip because we're exploring the world of coffee and not just any old coffees, but the the unusual, the unique, the downright different and peculiar coffees. Uh, and this is all spurred from uh, the notion in, in the news that Starbucks is bringing their olive oil coffee creation de Olido, to Canada. Now this has been around in the U.S. for a while, but now the offerings are available in Canada. So it combines olive oil uh, with your standard coffee, along with a few other options for lattes and things like that so i figured what better way to get started than with starbucks's olive oil coffee romeo we'll start with you are you going to take a sip or are you going to skip
14: the first thing i think of is my olive oil that tastes like a tuscan herb and i'm really (laughs) hoping this coffee doesn't taste like that i think i'd sip it yeah okay
2: okay so uh nisreen what about you
15: I'm a coffee addict, so I could try any flavor and I I'm taking the risk, I'd say I would sip it.
0: So does that mean we don't okay. need to that mean we don't yeah, need to ask Ms. Rain any game. of these other nine options? <laughs> She's just gonna say sip the whole time. No, I, not let's, exactly.
2: Let's you gotta see. Justify let's your see. sip. There, there are some unique options here. I, I will be curious. So, uh, <laughs> Dave, what about you? Your last one. We got two uh, sips. Are you going to sip as well? I think for the
0: olive oil coffee, I would definitely consider taking a sip. I would at least give it a crack. I would at least give it a crack. Mm.
2: A single sip, just to see yeah, if it works. Yeah. Okay, a so sing, a single five dollars sip from Starbucks.
4: Wow. Yeah.
2: Okay, we got agreement around the board. <laughs> now let's put that agreement to the test with the next coffee. This is one of the most expensive coffees in the world. It, depending who, uh, where you're looking, the price varies The next to are gonna be considered the most highly prized offerings. And it's all about natural process. What's the first one, Kopi Luwak. This uses beans digested and passed oh, by no. the Asian Palm civet cat. Oh, no. it, it, it offers a super fruity flavor once it's cleaned and properly prepared. Oh. So, <laughs> Kopai Luwak, I've already heard some responses. Meadreen, <laughs> we'll start with you on this one. Are you going to sip or are you going yes. to skip?
15: I heard about this and I'm going <laughs> to exactly. say no. I heard about this and I would, uh,
14: I, no, I'm going to skip it. I didn't Ramya, actually what about you? I didn't hear the word what is the creature that digested this coffee I as soon as you said so, digested by I was like no thanks
2: <laughs> Asian palm civet so it's a large cat uh, uh, Asian uh okay. natural cat
14: I am definitely they not do this hard in passing. Indonesia I know I yeah. I have a friend who accidentally tried this and was really not happy about that anyways no I'm, I'm passing I'm skipping
2: Okay, Dave. What about you? Are you gonna sip or are you going to skip?
0: Just the overt mention of fecal matter is gonna <laughs> put me towards skip.
14: <laughs> I okay, stop. Okay.
2: Okay. Well, let's say you know the the this is not your your cup of coffee, Joe. It's not your your uh, your preference. What if I present you an alternative? Maybe cats aren't your thing. What about black ivory coffee? (laughs) Yes, the name is kind of a hint. You just swap out the civet for a Thai elephant. Same process, same (laughs) results. Uh, Dave, we'll start with you on this one. Are you gonna sip this one or are you gonna skip it?
0: Uh, I like elephants and we should stop (laughs) exploiting them, so
2: skip. Yeah. Okay, Uh, Ramya, what about you?
14: Yeah, same reasons as Dave, I'll skip.
2: And Nisreen, are you gonna skip as well?
14: This is not for me, I skip it.
2: Okay, so, so far we have just a unanimous uh, a vibe going on.
0: Let's see if <laughs> Alex, we can mix it up. Alex, you
14: didn't say yours. Would you sip these last two copies? Does Alex, does you Alex, know
0: does Alex support torturing elephants?
14: Mm. Well, see,
2: this is the thing. I, it, that's deep question. <laughs> if it's going to be a more natural side of things, I'm I'm willing to try once if someone else is going to buy me the cup of coffee. As I said, these oh. are like the most expensive in the world. I think it could be like $2,000 for a kilo of beans. So I'm, I'm oh. probably going to skip just on the animal rights uh, side go. of things. Right. There you go. But moving on you know one issue always when it comes around coffee drinking is the stains it can leave on your teeth oh but so true what if i told you there was a new option out there never fear because clear coffee is here it is a unique drink that is clear like water but it is said to uh, to still taste just like coffee is just as strong still has all the caffeine properties but it just looks like a bottle of water so clear coffee are you going to sip it or are you going to skip it? Nisreen, you're starting.
15: I'm going to say that's the biggest struggle when it comes to being a coffee addict because you're constantly using the crest whitening strips. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and and you can't help it because I I can drink like, Five cups plus a day oh and my. i would have no problem um yeah it's it's an issue but it's it's okay um
5: and judgment if, <laughs>
0: judgment judgment free zone Nazarene, that's about my number too. yes
15: mm-hmm. so 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 that issue with the crest whitening strips they're not cheap to buy so i'd say i i take the i take the risk and and try this clear coffee if it tastes the same
2: dave you you mentioned it's a, a struggle for you as well are got, you gonna take it a sip?
0: <laughs> I've got horribly colored teeth for a myriad of reasons. Uh, I'm gonna sip this. I, like, I, it, it's it, it, Sometimes it's so funny. We think about the colors and textures of things and don't always associate them to taste. Okay. And it would probably feel really weird to be drinking clear coffee, kind of like when they brought in like clear Pepsi and clear Coca Cola a couple of years ago. But, cool. but, 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 like, I would, I would sip it. I would sip it. I, like, I would actually be genuinely curious to try clear coffee.
2: Ramya, you're the last one. Are you going to try it as well?
14: Yeah, same. I'd sip it. I also think this might be the next big argument if enough people, uh, you know, try this uh, around whether it tastes like regular coffee or not. You know how Mm. we have the decaf, does it taste like decaf conversation? Oh. -hmm. Yeah
2: this is gonna be like the the pepsi coke challenge
0: Maybe. clear coffee oh, regular can you coffee. tell it's
14: clear coffee yeah. exactly oh my yeah. gosh
0: you know how on social media channels they do those blind taste tests yep. we should do that yep we should have myself nazreen rumia and alex yes. i like, got a table with each other let's do it and we should see <laughs> if we can tell the difference between the clear coffee or the dark coffee
2: mm-hmm. well, there we go uh so moving on because we are still only halfway through gang Let's talk about a coffee that's going to be a bit more on the earthy side. You want to be really down to the roots. So why don't I introduce you to mushroom coffee? That's right. This is coffee that includes ground up mushrooms in the grind. It's, as it's said to be full of nutrients and benefits. Mushroom coffee. Are you going to take a sip or are you going to skip, Dave? Uh. I have in life uh, indulged in mushroom <laughs> teas, but uh, I'm gonna pass on mushroom coffee, so skip. Oh, okay. And, and so, Ramya, what about you? S- sip or skip on the mushroom coffee?
14: I'd sip, but I'm heavily judging. <laughs> I'm heavily thinking that I'm not gonna like it. I'd still sip, though, because it's not, I don't think it'll be super offensive, but I have tried some coffee that just really doesn't taste like coffee before, so I'm kinda down.
2: And uh, Nisreen, what about you? Are you gonna sip or are you gonna skip?
14: Alex, you lost me
15: at earthy coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I I really don't like mushrooms, so I'd skip it.
2: <laughs> okay, so we we have a bit of a divide. Ramya is being a bit more adventuresome here. Let's, let's continue to test the boundaries of what is acceptable. <laughs> now this one, uh, what if you wanted your coffee to be a bit more full body, a bit richer, a bit kind of beefier so to speak no what about butter (laughs) coffee butter coffee there are other variations uh, out there some are known as bullet proof coffees which include a variation of including butter and sometimes some heavy fats like coconut oil in the drink and it makes it all (laughs) emulsified and rich and and just fills you up in the morning on the go so butter coffee Are you going to sip it, or are you going to skip it, Nisreen?
15: I think this is better than the mushroom coffee, so I'm going to take this risk and say I'd sip it. I'd try it out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like how how far is butter really from cream when we're really getting down to things, right? Like, even as a black (laughs) coffee drinker, I I would give this at least a sip, Alex, similar to my olive oil theory.
2: And Ramia, what about you? Are you going to sip this one?
14: I just imagine, like, popcorn butter in my coffee. Oh. And it, it does not, like, I'm even thinking of the aroma not being appealing. So I, I honestly think that I would watch Nasreen and Dave for their reactions and then take my time from there. But for now, I'd actually skip.
2: Well, and building on Dave's premise about, well, how far is butter from, from uh, <laughs> okay. cream and milk? Okay. This one comes from Scandinavia. Uh. This one is known as kafost, I believe. I, I hopefully I'm pronouncing it. It includes not butter, not cream, but how about some squeaky cheese in the coffee? Oh, oh. So you combine oh. cheese into the coffee, which apparently it absorbs the coffee flavor. And then it leaves a nice cheesy taste Ugh. in the coffee. Ugh. You get to enjoy a snack and a drink. So cheese coffee. Yay or nay, Dave, I hear you loud oh, and clear here. I almost threw up in my mouth, Alex. Why would
0: you ruin perfectly good cheese and perfectly good coffee? Like, these two things can live on their own. I, You know, these Scandinavians know how to live, but uh, I think they're a little off base on this one. Skip ramia what about you no thanks now,
14: i'm good thank you but um do you know if there's like a solid pieces of cheese in my coffee yeah. after this is that what you're trying I to so. tell me I, I, no. I, I believe
2: like you can you can take no. them out and you can eat them and no, then no. you drink the coffee <sighs> out.
14: so coffee absorbed cheese and cheese absorbed coffee um skip yeah. hard pass
2: and uh Nisreen, what about you
15: there are things that should be illegal to mix, and I'd say this is one of
2: them. <laughs> oh, man. This is C
14: and E Okay, so uh-huh. we Alex, are running a yeah, bit we're... quick
2: uh, out of time, so I will present one final one here. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the different ingredients going into it things like that. Let's talk about the flavor itself, and let's, let's end on this one. You've heard of Irish coffee but what about Tennessee coffee (laughs) that's right Tennessee's own Jack Daniels has their own Jack Daniels flavored whiskey beans would you sip or skip and we'll start with Dave on this one
0: 100% sip I love me Irish coffee I love me Spanish
2: coffee I love me Venezuelan coffee I love
0: me like 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 booze and coffee go hand in hand just not before the morning shows
2: sip most of the time and uh quickly Ramya are
0: you yep. sip or skip
14: 100 percent
2: on the board and finally Nisreen sip or skip
14: I don't
15: drink so I'm gonna say skip on this one Oh, and there good. we
2: go. <laughs> totally
0: reasonable, totally reasonable. Alex, great idea. Well done by you. Ramy and Nazarene, thank you for playing along. Always great to have a little bit of fun when we land the plane on the show. That's all the time there is for today. Don't worry, things are kicking off again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time with this question for you. Would you go to a restaurant where all the food is prepared by robots. Jenny Bovard and I will contemplate that question together. And of course, you'll be welcome to contemplate it too. Until tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv, in streaming audio at amiplus.ca, or on the mighty AMI-audio podcast network, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun and don't drink cheesy coffee.